Mind Over Matters is intended for small business owners who are open to new ideas for improving their businesses. The mind or mindset is usually the single biggest factor that determines the success or otherwise of a business. It is the first thing to work on. Next comes the matters of the business. Strategy, accountability, implementation and getting a full order book. Plus all things small business besides. If you learn just one new thing that gives you pause, then I have achieved my objective. Well, hi everyone, it's Peter Crew Brown here, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Over Matters podcast by Pair Planning. The topic for today is winning high value clients on a small marketing budget with Mike Ames from Flair Growth Consultancy. Mike Ames could probably be classed as a serial entrepreneur. He started his first recruitment business in 1989. Since then, he has grown and sold two multi-million pound IT service businesses. He now runs the growth consultancy called Flair. And as I understand it, Mike has just launched his third recruitment company. Today, we're going to talk about why high-value clients are difficult to win and why they are widely targeted by people who do what you do. In this podcast, Mike will outline a simple strategy to get the attention of these highly sought-after prospects and how to begin a commercial dialogue with them. All this can be achieved on a tiny marketing budget. So, Mike, please share with the audience what makes you tick and who in the business community do you serve? Okay, well, thank you for that uh, introduction, Peter, and thank you for having me on the show. Delighted to be here. Um, I mostly serve recruitment firms, probably 80% of our clients are recruiters for obvious reasons. Um, but what makes me tick is an interesting question, really. Um, I, I really like I really like organization. I really like seeing a difference when you do things. I've always enjoyed taking a tool, say a software product or something, and figuring out how to use it and then using it and then seeing an effect. I like the effect. So when I work with companies, I really like the effect of seeing someone that's not in control of how their business grows gradually over time becoming in control of how their business grows so they can win the kind of clients that they want and that i do you know what i've been doing this for years now and i still get a buzz out of that peter i still love it and were, you, were you an early adopter of um, technology i took a degree in computer science in the 80s um well late 70s early 80s and so graduated 82 so i've always loved it i yeah. just love it really i love everything about it of course I mean, I, I used to write programs and various things, but I can't do any of that now. In fact, if the computer goes wrong, Mrs. Ames has to come in and fix it for me. But, um, but I've always been, I've always loved technology, never been afraid of it. And when I was at university, we were, it was drilled into us. It's, don't do something because you can, do something because you need to. In other words, use technology, not just because you're using technology, but use it to achieve something. And I, that's always stuck with me all the way through. So yes, I absolutely love it, everything, bring it on. Excellent. And um, to the second part of the question, who do you specifically focus your um, your services on? Recruiters mainly. Yeah, yeah. recruiters predominantly. That's I mean, eighty percent of that's an SMEs you've worked in for a long time, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. my background is in that, and you know that 
to, to grow and sell a business in the UK, a recruitment business, and sell it for a you know for retirement money, it, only 0.2% of recruitment companies do that, and I've done it twice. So um, you know, it, it, and that's not a boasty thing. I'm just saying that's the way it is because there's a certain way of doing it, and if you know yeah. how to do it, then you can share it, and that's what I that's what I do. And so you're going for number three. Well, it was a bit of fun, really. Someone approached sure. me about being an non-exec director, really. And then it just kind of, you know, I said, well, all right then. And then kind of went forward. And then it just became clear that he wanted a partner, really. So I took a stake. I'm not really active in the business. You know, I haven't got the time yeah. for it, really. But I help him. And we're going to do some things with it. It's going to be interesting. Bit of fun, really. Great way to close my career down, perhaps. You know, third time lucky. <laughs> third time luckier. <laughs> yeah. Mike, I can't resist asking you. I know that you in the dead of winter in um, central UK, and I notice you've got a um, slightly Hawaiian shirt on. Um, you might just share with the audience where that comes from and uh, what you've got, on, got in mind. Well, I did this. I did this uh, for you, actually, you. Peter, because it's it's the summer there, and I didn't want to be coming on with a woolly jumper or anything. So I turned the heating on early. Um, and, and and put this on. Mrs. Ames, uh, we've got a kind of a dressing room at home and there's like this kind of thing in there. And she, she'd been sorting my shirts out, basically. And um, I'm not sure whether this was to be taken to the charity shop pile or not, but it was on the top. And I thought, you know what? I think I'll just wear that. So I whacked it on this morning. And here I am. She'll probably come down later and say, you can get that off. That's going to the charity shop. I love it. If only, if only the listeners, you know, could see it. It'd be marvellous, wouldn't it? Fantastic. Mike, um, I've got a number of questions and I'll just um, start with the first one. Um, in the, um, I guess, the headline for today's episode, we talk about high value clients. Uh, how do you define a high value client? Well, um, there's different ways to look at this, really. I mean, one simple way, um, if you just want to do it on money, is to print off your sales ledger from last year or your clients. Um, and then plot them all on a graph in terms of how much you made from them, you know, the annual revenue that you got from them. And you'll obviously get some sort of bell curve, I would think. You know, it depends. Sure. I mean, the, I suppose it might be different shapes. But the top 25 to 30% of that are your high-value clients if you just do it on money. But but actually, it, there's more to it than that, really. And you can quite have, often have uh, – well, I'll tell you a story, actually. Um, years ago, when I ran the first business, a recruitment business, and – my partner, my business partner, came to me one day and said, oh, I've got a bit of a problem, Mike. Um, I won't mention the name of the company. It was a well-known chocolate company in the UK. He said, um, he said, I don't think we make any money on XYZ. And I said, well, that's ludicrous. You know, we're doing three million pounds turnover with them a year. That, you, no, you, that cannot be right. So he basically went through the, the numbers with me. And sure enough, we were making two bob and a conker. You know, we were making mm -hmm. no money at all. And because what happens is, <clears throat> quite often with bigger companies, is the margins slip down gradually. They never go up, do they? They slip down. Sure. But the service levels, if anything, have to go up. And we've yeah. reached that point where we were investing more into it than we were getting out of it. So, And the reason I mention that is, is that one of the big bear traps that people can fall into is believing that high volume equals high value. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, it doesn't. It's the opposite. Um, what you should aim for is somewhere... You know, where you, they're an ideal client in terms of you being able to satisfy their needs. You know, why take on some piece of work that you're not really very good at? So <clears throat> there has to be a match between the needs of the client and what you provide. Okay, tick sure. that box. 
there are some things you might i don't know if in australia you have a thing on an icp ideal client profile Does yes that, yeah, yeah yeah okay right so most icps are made up of the corporate ones are sort of seven criteria really or criterion um so typically if i can remember them all so uh sector the sector that you work in yeah. location is quite yeah. important size either yeah. measured in number of employees or turnover um uh their supply ship so do they have a preferred supplier or do you know how do you actually sell to them um then you would have something like um average uh, order value perhaps you know so you're looking for people that buy a certain amount from you and, and frequency of purchase i don't know whether that's seven or not but it's that kind of thing they're very specific most of that you can get from the internet sure. and then the rest of it you have to kind of engage with the client to find that that data out but and i think that's fine people have been doing that for years but for me a high value client is all of that obviously you need a match to what you sell and all those things need to be the right thing for you but the person that you deal with and don't forget in a com in a in any kind of company you get two roles you get the decision maker usually the one that signs it off with the money and the authorization and you get the actual user of the yeah. service so quite yeah. often you you know you if you deal with smaller companies they're often the same person obviously yeah. um but you need to have a relationship with them so that the, the people that you do best with or at least i do best with are the ones that a value a relationship They're, they've yeah. got an element of loyalty sure. you know so <clears throat> they they like to deal with you they like you they help you they're where with you if you drop the button as we all do they yeah. bend down with you and pick it up they don't wait till you're bending over and kick you up the ass you know so they're with you basically they what we say in the uk is they buy you they don't rent you right so yeah. these are the guys that you want they value value as well they don't want to, to to get the top service and pay the minimum for it they understand although cost is always an issue of course but they understand they have to pay to get the service and they're okay with that right mm -hmm. these to me are high mm -hmm. value clients so you've got this two level the bottom one is does it tick the boxes yes or no it's fairly straightforward yeah. okay it does now they should be a good client now let's dig deeper and, and make sure that the person i'm dealing with whether it's a decision maker or whether it's a distributor or user of the service that you sell are they the kind of people that i can really get on with and i can work with and those are the ones that build empires so my my first business we finished it with the turnover revenues of 40 million quid so it was a decade it took us to do that that's a sizable and, company yeah, it was sizable. And these in today's money, that's like 65, 70 million quid. Sure. This was in the 90s, yeah. obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. And how did we do that? Well, we did it because we surrounded ourselves with a client estate where people were like this. So, yeah, they ticked all the boxes. You know, they did all the things that we wanted. But but actually, the people that we dealt with really valued us. And because what that gives you is an edge. <clears throat> you go to the casino. To I'm not a gambler, but you go to the casino. The casino only has... A slight edge you know it just has a slight edge yeah. but that slight edge is enough to generate a lot of money and it's the same oh. in business yeah if you've got a slight edge over the competition that's all you need really to make a lot of money mm -hmm. and then if you install as well i know we're going to talk about it today but if you install uh, an extreme client care system yeah that keeps you gets you to number one choice and keeps you there yeah. then it's harder it's harder not to make money than it is to make money in a big way yeah, is what yeah. i think i like that uh, phrase i've not heard it before extreme client care um, it resonates when I hear it. It's you see, see the, the thing is, is that most people's client care, weirdly, they, they talk to the client where they're either looking for a, an opportunity, they're working on an opportunity, or there's a problem. That's yeah. pretty much it, really. And their version of client care is that. Yeah. Client care is what you do when there's no work. 
that's yeah. how you how you interact and support and talk to people and converse with them and mm. add value to them when there's no work that's right. what defines client care and in the uk particularly recruitment they just don't do it because of the tyranny of the targets at the end of the month they're focused mm. on making money right. so if, can't, if you're not going to buy from me this month i'm not going to talk to you you know so anyway i know i know we're not talking about client care but that's extreme client care sure. to put you and keep you at, at number one choice of suppliers yeah excellent um, Mike, just moving along, um, the second question I have is, we all know that these prospects are hard to win. Um, what obstacles stop us from winning these clients? Well, I, th I, think, we I think we probably all know the answer to that, don't we really? I mean, I, I think just, just to listen, I, I tell you that when, um, if you uh, cold call, right? so yeah. you, supposing you did, you cold call, what you're actually looking for there is an opportunity. That's the point of it. Whatever yeah. you do, whatever you sell, you're looking for an opportunity sure. to do some business. And so the deal is you're looking for an opportunity first, and then perhaps you can turn that, that company into a client. Opportunity yeah. first, client second. Yeah. Um, and the reason we do that is the kind of people that answer the telephone, listen to your spiel, and then say, yeah, of course, here's a chance. And there are some out there that do that, you know. It's not my thing, but people do that. Um, those kind of clients in my mind, aren't high value because high value clients, as I said, have got a certain amount of loyalty. And if all it takes is a slick salesman to give them some spiel to get some business and not go to you, that's not very loyal, really. Flip it around that loyal, high value clients are happy with their supplier base. They invest in them. They like them. They interact with them. They're supported by them. Are they really going to give you an opportunity on a cold call? Really? I don't think so. No. So the first thing is you've got people who are resistive. That's the first obstacle. They've already got suppliers. Yeah. This is a high value client stuff, right? So they've already got suppliers. They're working with them. They're okay with them. Why would they want you? The second one is many of these people are terribly well protected. You know, and I don't just mean with a gatekeeper. I mean, I'm only a very small company. There's four of us in Flair. But if you rang our number, you wouldn't get me. You'd get Melanie, my PA. Well, good luck trying to get through her unless you want to buy something from me. Because sure. she she just her job is to keep people who are trying to sell me things away from me. Normally yeah. SEO for some reason. And if SEO is so, so good, why are you on the telephone anyway? But it it, it you know it, it's um it's a real there, there is a real difficulty getting through that shell. You're yeah. talking about email um, spam checkers and firewalls and voicemails and and gatekeepers, all of these things designed to stop you from putting your proposition in front of someone. And then even if you do get through, many times, if there isn't a need, if they don't have a need now, why would they talk to you? They're like really busy people and they've got a million things going on in their business. And they're going to talk to you about something that they don't want to buy now. No. It's not going to happen. And then lastly, they're all short of time. So unless you can really articulate what it is that you do in a very short space of time, you've got no chance. So I think there's a lot of, there is a lot of obstacles there. I mean, there's yeah. other things as well, of course, but, but predominantly that's it. If you're going for customers, you just get on the phones and it's kissing frogs. You kiss enough frogs, you get a prince. Sure. If you want the high value ones, that really doesn't work so well. I mean, you will always get a story of someone that picked up a really big client from a cold call, but that is the exception not the rule and i think that you know it's important to recognize you've got to work hard to get them if you want them sure so mike before we get into you know what uh, to do to overcome these obstacles um i mean just broadly what is the primary thing that you advocate in these i guess changed times from 10 and 20 years ago where 
you know, the, it was a different world and there was a different way of, of um, nurturing relationships. What do you see as, you know, the, the primary um, approach to building the relationships, I guess, to, to be there when the client wants you or needs you? Okay. Um, I'm going to answer that in two ways. In a second, I'll give you the, a formula that anyone can use, which will help you win high value new clients. Excellent. And part of that is nurturing, right? Part of that is in there, okay. right? And, and I'll yep. go through that. But before I do that, let me let me just talk to you uh, about what happened in days gone by. In the eighties, when I started, there were when there were no laptops, there were no mobile phones, there was no internet. Uh, we had the telephone. You could send things through the post, and you could send faxes. But the faxes were on wasn't like A4 pieces of paper. It was like an enormous big. English public school toilet roll, shiny I toilet remember. paper. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you sent that through. And if you sent that, God knows if it would reach. So you normally would, if you got CVs, you would take them over and hand them over to someone because that was the best way to get them across. So we had no technology. But the way in which we – oh, everyone had a telex, but nobody knew what it was. Mm -hmm. Everyone had a telex number. We had one in the company I worked for. No idea what that was. Anyway, um, so <clears throat> the way in which relationships were built were the relationships cut away from the relationships in business they're just relationships human beings depend on four things to build a relationship right and it's achieved through doing one thing four things is we want to be made to feel special yeah definitely not mm -hmm. one of a crowd that's why yeah. we hate cold callers and that's why we hate you know call centers because they don't know we're just an, a number not a name sure. number two that we, we we want to feel appreciated we yeah. do something, whether that's just be a good client or whether that's do a favor. We want that recognized, even if it's only a thank you, you know, or a box of chocolates at Christmas or something. But we want we want to be uh, appreciated. We want to be understood, which is the most powerful thing. So if you've mm -hmm. ever been speaking to someone, perhaps in a time of trouble and you're sharing your troubles with someone and they say something and you think, you know what, they really get me. They yeah. understand what it's to be me now. That yeah. level of understanding creates such a bond with someone. Yeah. It's, a, it's almost unbreakable once you get to that level. And the third and Mike, thing is I trust. I might just say on that point, I think one of the things I sense with a lot of people is they don't listen very well. So to get that deep uh, um, connection with someone, you need to listen and really respond to the cues that they, they're giving out. You, you do. I interviewed, I have a, a monthly uh, webinar and I interviewed uh, a guy who used to be um, a negotiator, hostage negotiator for the London Metropolitan Police. And he'd been all over the world to Iraq, Iran, and loads of places to negotiate hostages. And he came on the show to talk about a thing called deep listening. And it's not yeah. active listening. We'll talk about that. This yeah. is a new level of listening, deep listening. And I was fascinated listening to him. I'd forgotten that I was interviewing. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, that's really good. And that's like, well, okay, ask another question there, Mike. Oh, yeah. Okay. Where's my notes? It was just fascinating. And the level that you can take listening to is enormous. And you're absolutely right. It's a key element of all of it. It's the listening is the sales superpower, really. Yeah. Um, but in terms of relationships, you've got those four different building blocks that anyone builds, you know, with your friends and family and people at work. And and the same with clients, you've got to build those. Now, how we did that in the in days gone by, we used to go and see people and have drinks with people and ring them up, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's still the same thing. Nothing's changed. People still want to feel special, appreciated, understood, and trusted. Yeah. It's just that now we have a whole bunch of technology and communication mechanisms available to us to yeah. make that easier. So yeah. you should still speak to people on the telephone. You should still go and see people. Well, we can't at the moment because we're in lockdown. But you, you should still do that. But now we've got this new layer on top. 
yes. where we can we can really get to somebody. Social media, particularly if you know how to use it, is just brilliant because yeah. all relationships, all of them, are built on interactions. If you don't yeah. interact with someone, and yeah. that can be you know a telephone call, a visit, an exchange of texts, WhatsApp, whatever. But if you don't do that, eventually that relationship will deteriorate and die away. Yeah. And that's why people don't do so well coming back to extreme client care. Yeah. Because because they don't interact unless unless they want something. And let's face it, come on. If you had a friend and all they did was when they rang you up, they wanted something, what would you think about that friend? I mean, um, really. And yet that's how we treat our clients. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I'll ring you up because I want something from them. You're not getting this, are you? You're not getting this really. Yeah. And that's why there are very few really successful companies because they don't get that, I think. But yeah, yeah. So so in, in, in order to answer your question, I think the way in which I interact with people and and what I what I intend to try and do when I interact, which is those four things, hasn't changed at all and will never change. Mm. However, the mechanisms that we have to do that have changed a lot because of technology. Sure. So the tools. It's interesting. Um, there's a concept um, which I believe was developed by um, Google called Zmot, you know, zero moment of truth. And um, I think they talk about 14 touch points before clients are making decisions. And um, I think a lot of people believe you get very quick decisions. And I, I, I suspect on bigger transactions, you know, you, you do need to put in the amount of, of care and touch points to, to build the trust and credibility. Yeah, you do. And that, I mean, that's bringing me to the formula now, which I'm going to talk about. Well, let's move on to the next question. So that's just getting back to the second question I asked you uh, to identify the obstacles. I guess the next obvious question is, uh, how do we overcome these obstacles? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and that, I mean, that's the point of this talk, I suppose, to share with people how to do that. Um, I, I think um, you, you made a very good point uh, a moment ago, which I'm going to just just pick on for a second because it's relevant to this. In that when right, so you're going to buy anything, there's two ways people buy things. They buy uh, a renewal. So they go and buy what they bought before from the people they bought it before from. And there's selection. They go out yeah. to a selection of, you know, so you're going to go and buy a car. You don't just yeah. go and buy the same car you had before. You go and look at them. If you're going to go and buy a pot of coffee. You just go and get the usual coffee that you get, stick it in your, in your supermarket trolley, right? And we have planned and unplanned purchases. So you basically got a, a grid with four boxes on it, okay? Yeah selective and uh, renewal planned and unplanned yeah. people buy things in different ways in those boxes and you must understand how your clients buy things for starters yeah, sure. you must understand which of those boxes they mainly fall into because that's going to that's going to shape the way in which you would approach them and sell to them yeah. second thing is is that most purchases certainly planned purchases and whether they're selective or renewals in many cases if it's a big purchase there's there's a thing called the pre-buying zone so yeah. take the car metaphor again yeah i'm going to buy a car right so for a month or two before that i'm like looking at car magazines and and i'm thinking about cars and when i see a car advert on tv i'm taking more interest in it and when i i'm looking on the internet maybe and i'm taking an interest in it and beginning to think about what i want and what i'm supposed to do with it and do i need a sports car or would i look ridiculous because i'm old you know whatever and i'm also beginning to think of the brands as well do i want a bmw or do i want a volkswagen or something let's, let's call the pre-buying zone pbz yeah. now in the pbz people are open 
they're open to ideas and thoughts and, and approaches, right? Yeah. After that, we go into the buying zone, which is much shorter. And I've made up my mind pretty much what I want. I've got a budget. I've got authorization if I'm working in a company yeah. or from Mrs. Ames to go and do it if I'm at home. Um, and I'm pretty much sure that the, the suppliers I'm going to use, right? So then I'm in. I'm off. If you approach someone when they're in the buying zone, the chances of, of making some headways is less because people have already made the decision. Yeah, pretty much of who they're going to look at. And you're trying to come in, Johnny, come lately. You can do it. It's just not a great time to do it. Once that purchase has been done, it's pointless talking to them because they're just not interested. They're in the not interested zone. It's like, well, no, I've got my car now. Talk to me in three years. And businesses go through the same buying process. You sure. know, So yeah. what you have to do is either be able to deduce the signs of people moving to the pre-buying zone, which you can do for certain purchases, yeah. Or alternatively, you put a structure together, which I'm going to share with you now, where you can't predict when they're going to buy something. But if they do, they come to you because yeah. right? then it doesn't matter whether you've detected they're in the pre-buying zone or not. Um, they're going to come to you if they need something. Right. So um, and it's a seven step formula that you can use. It's dead simple. I'm going to go through it stage by stage. Um, and then, you know, you will cover off. I think you want to talk about what you would say to someone when you. Yeah, yeah. In the next. Uh, I'll include I'll include that in there as well. Here we go. Sure. So number one is you have to define your ideal client profile. Now, we talked about it earlier, so I'm not sure. going to talk about it again. Yeah. But a lot of people say, well, I know what that is. So I just say, well, write it down then. That's fairly straightforward. And then what you need to do, that's easy. Write it down. Take it on a piece of paper and give it to the most junior person in your organization. Or if you're a one man band, give it to your friend or husband or wife or partner or whatever and say go into linkedin and get me half a dozen people that look like that yeah and let them loose and then look at what they come back with if it's pretty spot on then your icp is strong it's good you can tick that box and move on to stage two if it isn't it's back to the drawing board because the icp has to be that good because it gives you a consistency of client moving into your client estate and also it makes you more scalable because it's no yeah. longer dependent on the judgment or experience of an individual. Yeah. It's now, no, these are the clients that we have, right? And yeah. I, I don't want to go any further into ICPs. I could talk about them the whole session, really. But what I would say is if you want, you can actually weight the criterion within the ICP, give them a weighting, yeah. and then score them against that weighting. So some of the criterion are much more important than others. Sure. And then you add up the number, say it's out of 100, your scoring is out of 100, say. Yeah. You add them up, and if it's above 70, you go for it. If it's between 50 and 70, well, okay, probably will. If it's below 50, not really that bothered, to be honest. Sure. So you can actually get really technical if you want to. And what that means is, as you grow your sales team, you can control the kind of clients that people focus on. And yeah. you can do that through the ICP. So that's step one. Step two um, is to define your proposition. And this is like a weird thing because if you sell a service, then in many cases, you are the proposition. You know, yeah. so you go, I, I, I think of, um, uh, say, a, a gymnasium, right? So a gym. I mean, as you can see from me, I know the listeners can't see me, but I'm a slave to the gym. Right, I'm there all the time. <laughs> if you could see my nose growing, I'm a real boy, I'm a real boy, Pinocchio. Right, I'm not, but I have been to the gym in the past. But if you go and you hire a personal trainer, sure. right, so you're in the gym, but you have a personal trainer, and you have a relationship with that personal trainer, and they're helping you. And you begin to trust them, and it, that what they're doing works for you, right? If they said, look, I'm going to, to another gym, or I'm going to set up on my own, chances are you'll go with them. The chances are because you're buying the relationship, and that relationship yeah. is working. If, however, you go to the gym and you just go into one of the step classes, 
right? You just go and someone's giving the step, you're in, you're doing the cycling or whatever they do, and then you come away. If someone swapped and someone new came in and did the step class, so what really? It's the step class I'm buying. And that's the difference between a service and a product. Yeah. So what we're looking to do is move closer to being a product because it's easier to sell. Mm-hmm. It's easier to defend your margins and your and your prices and your fees. Um, it's if you've got people who've got less experience and less knowledge um, and less skills, it's easier for them to learn to sell a product than be the product. You know, yeah. if yeah. we were competing and you, you've got 10 years recruitment experience and I've got one year and we're pitching for a piece of work, chances are you're going to get it, right? Not yeah. me, yeah. because that's how it works really. Well, well, you can you can move away from that and, and sell a product. And then the experience doesn't matter quite so much. You're not buying me, you're buying that. And, that's um, and lastly, it's more easy to scale a business where you can. Yeah, um, massively so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole raison d'etre for my business is to help people create scalable businesses. That's what we yeah, do. So sure. that's why things like ICPs and, and products, productization is important. So, but for, for, for the formula, when I work with companies that, that go through my groups, you know, you can't, a productization project can be six months long if you want it to be. If you're really going to produce something that's going to turn heads. But actually, you can do something really quickly because you're going to articulate certain key pieces of information about what you do in such a way. And you have to test this until it works. And when you tell someone, they say, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. If they don't say that, then you've got to go back to the drawing board. So proposition is really important because mm-hmm. there's going to come a point where someone says, okay, you got my attention. What? What, what, what have you got? Mm-hmm. And if, if you're a bit feeble and a bit wishy-washy and not well-defined, you're going to lose out. You're not going to be successful. Right. So second step is get that proposition sorted, get it, get it right, test it with people so that people genuinely say, no, that is interesting. I would like to know a little bit more about that. Nowhere near as hard as you might think, by the way. It's not that Mike, um, when you talk of a proposition, is that the same concept as a hypothesis? No, it's just a product to service. It's just a different way of saying product to service. It's all. Okay. Because yeah. if you sell products, your proposition is your product. If you sell yeah. services, it's okay. offering. Yeah. Offering isn't it? You can say offering. That's another way. Yeah. But you've got to be able to encapsulate it. Sure. So a seven-year-old can understand it and you can deliver it in about 30 seconds. So, you know, well, probably more than that. You probably get about two minutes. But the bottom line is you have to have it that good and it has to be polished. Mm-hmm. And what that does as well makes you very confident. Because yeah. you know when you get in front of someone, you can do that. Now, the Americans have this term elevator pitch, which I absolutely loathe and detest. Yeah. Because for starters, it's a lift. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> and secondly, um, it's just ludicrous that you would – that doesn't work like that. But the concept behind it is valid. To be able to communicate key information about what you do to somebody so they say, that's interesting. Yeah, come and tell me a bit more about that. Sure. So that's good. But you need to do the proposition. The, th- the third stage is – this concept of an ADA connection campaign. ADA is a, you can Google it, A-I-D-A. It's been around for years. It's like penicillin in the sales world. You can use it everywhere. You can use it in a sales pitch. You can use it in a blog that you've written. You can use it when you're doing this kind of thing. You can use it in a pitch. You can use it in a campaign to connect with people. It's attention, interest, desire, action. And is that something you've been using Four years? This is not a oh, new Oh, blimey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was invented, I think, by, if you've seen a t- TV program in Australia, Mad Men, you know, the yeah, yeah, Madison yeah, yeah. Avenue advertisers. Well, there's a guy that you spearheaded that. He's an Englishman called David Ogilvy. And, yes, uh, yes, you, you know David yeah, Ogilvy. Yeah, it's just 
awesome guy really he's dead now yeah. but man you know he's all these american kind of online retailers they all refer to him every now and again he's the granddaddy daddy of it all well it, i don't think he developed age i think it was a lot before that if you google it i think it was like the 20s or something but he was a big advocate of it so sure. and instead of trying to put everything into one communication you know which you can do if you're writing an email for example the whole thing would be in the email but it's better to split it out do something to get attention do something sure. else to create interest, yeah. do something else to build desire over time, and then make the call to action very simple, very passive. Just yeah. take a call from me, just come on this event, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So so you need to build an Ada connection campaign. Now, there are, oh, we've got loads of those. It's like having a catalog. You choose one and we'll do it for you. But actually, the easiest one, the cheapest one, because it's free, and, and I think the easiest one to refine and, and get it to work yeah. um, is based on LinkedIn. Okay, making connections on LinkedIn and then what you do when you're connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. So that's the easiest one. But I think you've got to have some way to gain that attention. Yeah. To be able to build interest. Well, okay, you got my attention. Well, oh, that's interesting. Now tell me more. And then the desire is where you're actually then shaping that person, not to sell to them, but for them to buy from you. And yeah. there's a world of difference between those two. So yeah. I think that's a really important step. Fourth number fourth step is is what's called a content-based contact regime now we know about content because you and i we both publish uh, this is content you know this this recording is content the idea is oh. to add value to people to understand yeah. what they find important add value to them right okay so a, a contact regime simply means and i haven't got time to go through this it would be nice but there's a three-tier contact regime so the top tier is every quarter you make direct contact with them the second tier is every month you interact as best as you can on social media and the third tier is something that they subscribe to maybe a newsletter or a club or something so that you can communicate you know every month yeah. religiously yeah. with a whole bunch of people and what you're looking to do is what's called self-selection so basically they're moving into the pre-buying zone okay. that's what it's designed to do it's designed yeah. to pick that up and give you that head that they're oh wait <laughs> yes they've just done that thing which means that they're looking to begin to think about buying what I sell, right? So that's yeah. the point of a, and the, and you can't do that. The old days, you just ring up and say, hey, it's Mike Ames here. You know, do you want to buy some contractors? You don't? Oh, I'll call you in three months. Those days are gone. You know, that's like you, you get a phone call. Hello? It's the 1980s. They want their selling re regime back. You can't <laughs> use that anymore, right? That is gone. Yeah. So it's content now. And the problem with content is there's too much of it. So last year, have a guess, last year, how much of an increase there was on content published on LinkedIn? Have a guess, go on. 20%. 60% increase in 2020. In one year. I know. So, so you can't just produce content. That's not good enough anymore. It was four or five years ago, but not now. You have to produce great content. Sure. But if you do that, what that means is you're engaging or interacting with someone about something that they're interested in, that they find yeah. useful, yeah. or thought-provoking or uh, just straight interesting sometimes yeah. and not about the business. So they'll, they'll engage with you about that and then you go away again until you do it again. So that's the fourth thing. And, and it's really important to recognize as well. I know we're running out of time, but I just want to mention this, is that this concept of the forgotten 45. So if you, so if you do an ADA campaign, and these are my numbers, they're not yours. Yours might be similar, but I can't guarantee it. If I go out with an ADA campaign that I've built and tested, so I haven't just done it. I've tested each stage with what's called a proofing group. A bunch yeah. of people out there are very similar to the people I'm targeting. And yeah. I've tested it and tested it and refined it. So I've got it. So I know it's going to work pretty much. Put that out there. 
what that what that does then is it gives me about five percent between one and five percent of yeah. people who will want to talk so they're yeah. not slam dunk yeah. but yeah that's interesting mike in other words i've caught them in the pre-buying zone right so yeah. yeah oh that's interesting mike yeah come and talk to us about that right about 50 percent either don't engage ignore us won't talk to us or you speak to them and they basically tell you in in very colorful language. I know I know you Australians don't swear, I get that, but <laughs> if you did, you would learn some new swear words sometimes. They, they just okay. go away and leave me alone, right? And that's fine. So the average kind of um, you know, new business salesperson who's ringing around looking for an opportunity, yeah. right? So the 5%, great, I've got something, let me work on that. The 50%, well, all right then, clear off. Yeah. And then you've got this 45% that we call the forgotten 45%. It's like, well, uh, okay. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to buy it now for whatever reason. Sure. And yeah, and and what what the avid business developer, the end of the month warrior, says is the classes them the same as the fifty percent. They don't want to buy. Well, clear off then. On to the next big mistake. Big mistake, my friend. Because just looking at the numbers, five percent, forty-five percent. So there's potentially nine times, nine hundred percent more revenue that yeah. you're just walking away from, right? Yeah. that you could land and every month a, a bit more of that 45 percent drops into the five percent mm. right so and so these so are you, all people who uh you want to nurture because they're going to want yeah. to buy at some stage and you've got to be available when they want yeah. to buy sure yeah. yeah yeah sure yeah so so what you're doing is basically building up confidence so yeah. you, the way you do that you're communicating what you do your capability you're yeah. communicating your values because people like yeah. to know how you do things you're yeah. communicating your credibility that you're good at what you do you're communicating cool. usps right yeah. all of these things yeah. and yeah. at the same time you're gathering information about them yeah. you're gathering icp information because you might realize they tell you something you think oh actually they're not as good a client as i thought they were going to be i'll move them out so you're going to do yeah. that but also gathering information ready for the pitch which i'll talk about so, in a minute right yes, so yeah, the yeah. more the more data you gather the better chances you have of, of converting this client right so you're doing this waiting for them to drop but there comes a point where especially if you've used a linkedin to, to do this yeah. where you have to be able to speak to them sure right so and the best way to do that in the modern world right now thing that's working for us is an event okay and it's going to be a webinar which is a one-to-many broadcast live yeah. or it's going to be a round table which is much smaller it's more intimate six or seven people in a meeting you know like a teams or a, or a yes. zoom meeting where you can yes. see who they are if you can get someone to come to one of those you've already moved in a big step forward sure because you know who they are they've self-selected yeah. they're going to be interacting with you and if you can get them into a round table of some sort and we we do a lot of these things then you're actually talking to them one-to-one the chances of making a phone call a one-to-one phone call at the end of a of a deep dive um workshop or round table yeah is huge yeah. if i mean if we were doing it now and i've just added loads of value to you for an hour and then i'll say can i give you a ring afterwards just to go through this yeah you, yeah. yeah i don't think i've ever been turned down quite frankly sure. so yeah. you're taking someone that didn't know who you were connecting with them on LinkedIn, adding value for a period of time during this, this content regime to this Ada connection campaign. Then, then at, at some point it, there are some indicators, which I won't go through now, but there are ways that you can think, well, I, well come on this thing. You'd love it. Seriously. Yeah, you know, come sure. on this thing yeah. from that, then you've got to get to what's called a discovery pitch. So that's, that's stage six, yeah. a discovery pitch. Now I said, I don't sell to people, people buy from me, but yeah. it's very important that they know formally what I do. Yeah. Now you could argue that's a pitch, yeah. 
But I think it's only a pitch if you say at the end of it, and can we have your business, please? You know, so what a discovery pitch meeting is, it's like saying, well, okay, you know, we've been interacting quite a bit. You've come on some of the things that we've done. What I'd really like to do is, is have a set of meeting and really understand what it is that you do and to share with you what I do. That's it. You know, yeah. whether it's the right time or not, it's not, not for me to say. Yeah. It's you. You know the definition of success? It's to keep doing the right things with the right people until it's the right time for them. Yeah. And so that's what that's the method that we're implementing here, really. So that discovery pitch is crucial because you're going to discover about them. They're going to discover about you. And oftentimes it does slip into a, a pitch. No question yeah. about it, really. Cool. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then you go back to stage four back yeah. into the contact regime and start again and wait. And yeah. then eventually you run out of steam with them. In my case, it's 18 months. If I've done business with you 18 months, do you know what? We're not going to be doing business, right? So sure. you're out of the process because I've got a load more people coming in the process. Yeah. And then the last, stage seven, is that extreme client care. You know, when you get yeah, them, you want to keep them. we spoke about before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those, if you if you want to win and keep high-value clients and make money from them, yeah. then it's those seven stages that will do it for you every time, 100%. Yeah. And I can guarantee it. Why? Because you do not give up until that formula works. You keep, it's like a computer program, how I started my career. You write it, you run it, it doesn't work. You debug it, you fix it, you run it again. It doesn't work somewhere else. You, you debug it, you fix it, you run it again. If you do that iteration, eventually yeah. you end up with a program that works, yes. you implement it, anyone can use it. Sure. So it's the same with, with this formula. You, you keep going until you end up with a formula that gives you a conversion rate. So you'll know if I put 100 people into this, I'm going to get five clients out of it. I know because statistically yeah. that's what happens. Then you can just run it, Peter, and then you're sure. good. Mark, uh, those are excellent um, guidelines. So seven points. And uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners will be able to draw some great value from them. Um, just wrapping up with one final question, if I may. If you could give sure. the listeners just one piece of advice, what would it be? Okay, that's. Uh, oh, um, can I can I have two pieces of advice? Would that sure. be too cheeky? That's fine. Okay, the first one is learn how to write really good content. Yeah. Well, not write. I mean, you can produce it. It can be like this. This you're not writing this. You know, we're speaking about sure. it. Um, yeah. So it can be a webinar series. It can be roundtable series. It can be podcasts. It can be a blog. It can be articles, long form LinkedIn posts. Doesn't matter what it is, but write content that people want to read or engage with, listen to, watch. Yeah. And it's on a subject that's of interest or it's useful to them. Yeah. Because if you can do that, it changes everything. Everything changes. You could just, just produce great content. Never mind about the other seven stop steps. Yeah. Just produce great content, put it out, and you will get a dribble of clients coming to you yeah. because that's how it works, right? So mm -hmm. that would be num number one. Yeah. I think the second thing, um, and I'm torn here, so ooh, I'm going to go with, with work on your ADA. So yeah, no, I'm yeah. not. No, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to go with proposition. Yeah, there you go. You got the better of me. Get that proposition right. So okay. you can communicate it in less than two minutes to a seven-year-old and they say, yeah. oh, I'll get that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's really interesting. Tell me more. I want to know a bit more about that. Yeah. That's what I would do because, because that's got most uses, really. You know, it's Fantastic. no good getting in front of somebody if you don't have something to say to them, is it? No, exactly right. Um, Mark, just finally, um, if anyone um, liked what you've had to say, and I think you've given us in a great amount of invaluable information. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? 
The easiest way is through LinkedIn. Just invite yeah. me to connect on LinkedIn. We produce a lot of free content, as you would sure. imagine. We do a, yeah. a monthly webinar. We've got a, a, a place people can go to loads of free content. And we don't upsell. It's just a great place. You just register for it, and you can become part of the club. A pioneers club you can do that we run uh, we produce a lot of stuff that we put out on social media videos uh, free micro courses that you can use a whole bunch of different stuff so just connect with me on linkedin if you mention this podcast that'd be awesome i'll know who cool. you are yeah. um, and then just just become part of my community and take what you want from me it's yours and mark uh, that's ames a-m-e-s there's not many of you on linkedin <laughs> Mike Ames. No, there isn't. There is Mike Ames and I haven't got a flowery shirt on. I think I might be laughing actually on the, on the picture on my LinkedIn. I don't know. But uh, yes, there is only one and it's uh, Birmingham. I think it comes up as Birmingham on there. Flair. You can't, I mean, Mike Ames Flair, you know, you can't go too far. On. In fact, I think if you just put that into Google, actually, yeah. then I think I come out on LinkedIn at the top. Yeah. Sure. Well, Mike, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board today. Uh, flowery shirt and all. Um, you've <laughs> shared some absolute... Um, nuggets with us and uh, hopefully you get some inquiries and uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. So this is- Very welcome. Um, and thank you very much for inviting me on. It was a, a really great time we've had, thank you. Yeah, no, it's been wonderful. So this is Peter Crew Brown signing off from episode two of Mind Over Matters. <laughs>